Good morning, everyone. Let's pray. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning's reading is taken from Acts chapter 1, verses 12 to 26. This is God's holy and infallible word. Verse 12. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language, Akadelma, that is, field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may, this, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry with Jesus left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. Matthias. So he was added to the eleven apostles. This is the word of the Lord. Right, good morning, church. The Lord be with you. Now, we began our study of the book of Acts last Sunday, looking at the first, first 11 verses of chapter 1. And from the study of Acts, we hope to learn from the early church how we can be gospel influencers in our society. We mentioned that the apostles were great influencers of their time because they were faithful witnesses in obedience to Jesus' great commission. And Jesus had given the apostles the great commission just before he ascended into heaven. And they were to be his witnesses, not only in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, but also to the ends of the earth. But the apostles were not to rush back into Jerusalem to immediately preach the kingdom of God. No, they were to wait. They were to wait in Jerusalem for the baptism with the Holy Spirit because it is only with the power of the Holy Spirit that they are to carry out their mission. 
And so after Jesus ascended into heaven, verse 12 tells us this, that the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. So Luke tells us that Jesus' ascension took place on the Mount of Olives. Now, I have not been to Jerusalem, but I have been told that the Mount of Olives is about a kilometer from the city. And one kilometer is the maximum distance allowed under religious laws for the Jews to travel on the Sabbath day. And so the apostles walked that one kilometer back into Jerusalem. Then they went to the upper room where they had been staying. And this was probably the same upper room where Jesus ate the last supper with them. And it was in this place that the 11 apostles and Luke named all the 11 in verse 13 that they waited for the coming um, of the Holy Spirit. They waited in the upper room for the promised gift of God the Father. And how long did they have to wait? Well, we know that the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, which is 50 days after Resurrection Sunday, and Luke tells us that Jesus ascended to heaven 40 days after his resurrection. And so that means the apostles would be waiting for 10 days. And what did they do during the 10 days of waiting? Well, Luke tells us that the apostles came together regularly with the other disciples of Jesus. And verse 14 reads, They were joined together along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with all his brothers. And so the church in its first week of existence was like a big family. The apostles came together, not only among themselves, but with the women, with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and also the brothers of Jesus. Now it is a pleasant surprise to read that the brothers of Jesus were also part of the newly formed church. Because we know that uh, we know from Matthew and uh, John's account of their gospel, the brothers were skeptics of Jesus. They did not believe Jesus when he claimed to be the Messiah. And so you may ask, what converted them? Well, it was Jesus' resurrection. Jesus' resurrection converted them because in the first week, uh, first letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul tells us that the resurrected Jesus appeared to his brother James. And James must have told the other brothers about the resurrection. And that was how Jesus' siblings came to believe. And not only did they believe, but James and another brother named Jude would go on to write their letter to the early church. And their letters are now part of the New Testament. <clears throat> now Luke also tells us that in that group are the women besides Mary and uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now who are these women? 
Well, Luke names some of these women in chapter 8 of his gospel account. Well, they include Mary Magdalene, Joanna, the wife of the manager of Herod's household, and Susanna. Well, we do not know anything about her besides her name. But they were all part of the women who helped supported Jesus and his 12 apostles as they went about preaching from one town to the next. And now these same women are part of the newly formed church. And so we can see that the newly formed church was already a big family of different people. And today we must continue to be a big family. The church must be a big family. We cannot claim to be a Christian and not be part of a church fellowship. We cannot be stand-alone Christians. We need each other. We need each other for the family care, for the family support. And we need each other for the family strength. And we need each other for the family prayer. And praying was what the newly formed church did whenever they came together. Luke tells us that they all joined together constantly in prayer. We read that in verse 14. They all joined together constantly in prayer. Now, two things can be said about their prayer life. One is that they were united in their prayer. They were joined together in prayer means that they had a united purpose in prayer. And their united purpose was to pray for the coming of the promised Holy Spirit. Now you may ask, why did the disciples pray for something that God had already promised? Well, did they not believe Jesus? That's why they kept praying? Or were they lacking in faith? Well, not at all. Their prayer tells us that they had absolute faith in God. You see, when we pray for the fulfillment of God's promises, it means we trust God in His goodness to fulfill His promise to us. It means we are excited about God's will being done because God's promises to us are part of His will for us. So, not praying about the promises of God shows our indifference. It shows our indifference to God's will. It shows up our unfaithfulness. But the newly formed church was faithful. They prayed to God to send the Holy Spirit because they trusted in God. So the second thing about their prayer was that they were constantly in prayer. Constantly in prayer means that they persevered in prayer. They might have fixed time for prayer, but at every opportunity, they came together to pray. And they were fully committed to praying for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And so today, our church must also join together and be constantly in prayer. Now, I confess that we have been slack 
both in private prayers and individual and corporate prayers. We have been slack in our praying. Our lack of desire to pray indicates that we are more worldly than we realize. And this will put us in spiritual danger. Now, we cannot blame it on the pandemic lockdown because we can still pray together on Zoom. But I know some of you are faithfully praying regularly in small groups. And you are also praying whenever you do your one-to-one catch-up. And that is good. But I want to encourage the church, all of us, to be fully committed to prayer. We want to be constantly in prayer. Not only as individuals, but also together as a group. We may not have fixed time, but whenever there is opportunity, whenever we come together, we just pray. Besides chatting. So, from next month, uh, you will get an invitation to join our regular prayer meeting on Zoom. Okay, this is a warning to you. Uh, Announcement to you, not a warning. Announcement. And what would we be praying for? What would we be... uh, um, what would we be our united? What would be our united purpose in our regular and corporate prayer? Well, like the newly formed church, we want to pray for God's will to be done. Jesus Himself taught us to pray that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we want to commit ourselves to pray that the will of God be done by us at TGCC. So the next question we ask is, what is God's will for us and for the world that we can pray for? Well, Scripture tells us, and we always go to Scripture, Scripture tells us that there are at least three specific expressions of God's will. One, it is God's will that people believe in His Son, Jesus. It is God's will that people believe in Jesus. So we want to pray to be equipped for works of evangelism and for works of mission. We want to pray for opportunities to share the gospel with our unbelieving family and friends. We want to pray that God will give us the right words to say that will speak about Jesus. And we want to pray for boldness to be faithful witnesses as we proclaim the kingdom of God. So that is the first thing we can pray for. Well, the second expression of God's will is this. It is God's will that we should be sanctified. And to be sanctified is to be made holy. And we are to be holy as God is holy. And so this means that for some of us, Um, To be holy means to avoid sexual immorality. For others, to be holy means that we should avoid idolatry. For yet others, or in fact for all of us, to be holy means that we are to avoid worldliness. And so we want to pray 
that we will not love the world or anything in the world that causes us to lust with our eyes, anything in the world that causes us to lust with our flesh. We want to pray against all these things. And of course, we want to pray against anything that feeds the pride of life. Okay, the third expression of God's will that you can find in Scripture is this. It is God's will that we should give thanks in all circumstances. Yes, in all circumstances. Even in difficult and bad times, we should give thanks. We ought to rejoice. Why? Because James tells us in his epistle that the bad times are testing times that will help us grow into Christian maturity. So let us not whine and complain when we are inconvenienced. Let us not complain when we face trials or we, we suffer sufferings. So let us be the joyful and content Christians that we ought to be. So these are the three things that we can pray together as a church. Okay, what else did the newly formed church do during the 10 days of waiting? Well, Luke tells us that besides constantly in prayer, they were also searching and studying the scripture. And this is a beautiful picture of the early church. They prayed and they searched and studied the scripture and of course they obeyed. Okay, so that's a beautiful picture, and we want to emulate that kind of uh, church. So they were the early church were studying the scripture because they wanted to discern God's will, and they wanted to discern God's will because um, uh, they have an issue regarding. Uh, I mean, they they had an issue that they were not sure about, and they were not sure about what to do with a vacancy among the 12 apostles. But after searching scripture, they are now sure of what to do. Look at verses 15 and 17. Now in those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. <clears throat> so you can see that after studying scripture, Peter addresses the church gathering, which has grown to a size of 120. And he tells them that David's psalms in scripture did foretell about Judas Iscariot the apostle who had betrayed Jesus. And even though he was an apostle, he really was not a true believer. And his death makes a replacement, uh, makes a replacement apostle necessary. And Luke provides us with the manner of Jesus' death as an aside. And we read that in verses 18 to 19. You will notice that the verses 18 to 19 are in parentheses. That means this is an aside that Luke wants to give us more information about Judas 
to his readers. So Luke says, with the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field, and there he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Now we don't want to dwell on the gory details of the end of Judas, but we need to address two apparent discrepancies between Luke's account that we read here and Matthew's account of Judas' death. Now, the first of this apparent discrepancy is this. Luke tells us that Judas bought a field with the blood money he got for betraying Jesus. But if you were to refer to Matthew's gospel, Matthew tells us that the priests picked up the coins that, Jesus, uh, that Judas threw back and used that money to buy his burial plot in a place called the Field of Blood. <clears throat> so the question is, did Judas buy the plot or did the priest buy the plot? Well, both answers are correct. You see, the priests organized the purchase of the field, but they paid for it with Judas' money. <clears throat> and if it is paid with Judas' money, it can be said that Judas bought the field. Now, the second apparent discrepancy concerns the manner of Judas' death. Now, Matthew tells us that, uh, that filled with remorse, Judas went to hang himself. But Luke gives the gory details that Judas fell headlong. His body burst and all his intestines spilled out. So how are we to make sense of this too? Well, I think it goes like this. It is possible that after Judas hanged himself, the rope or the cloth uh, gave way and the decom decomposing body fell forward, uh, head first to the ground and ruptured, spilling out the entrails. Okay, so there are no real discrepancies, just different perspectives of describing the same event of Judas' death. Now, Judas' vacancy has to be filled according to the scripture. And so Peter searched the scripture and now he quotes the Davidic Psalms that prophesied the betrayal of the Messiah and how the one who betrays the Messiah would have to be replaced. And so Peter proceeds to obey what scripture says and he organizes for the replacement apostle to be chosen. But there are strict criteria for an apostle. And Peter lays out the conditions for the man who will replace Judas in verses 21 and 22. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time 
the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So Peter, in this passage, gives us three criteria of an apostle. And it is important for us to note this criteria because there are some people today who call themselves apostles and they claim to be apostles. They say they have the gift of apostleship, but they don't have the office of an apostle. So they are differentiating between the gift of an apostle and the office of an apostle. So uh, what, what are they trying to say? So what they are saying is that the office of an apostle is unique because it comes with a special authority uh, to represent Jesus on his behalf. And so only the twelve and the apostle Paul has this office. But the gift of apostleship is given to some others besides the twelve. Because the gift of apostleship means that you have the gift of doing what the apostles did in their mission. Okay? So they say today they are apostles. But these people are playing with words. Because the word apostle means the sent one. And in the book of Acts, the twelve were sent out to proclaim the gospel and start new churches. And so that's, that's what they do. Proclaim the gospel and start the new church. So these people claim that they have the gift of apostleship because they have been sent out to preach the gospel and establish new churches. But the new churches have to be big, like a thousand or two thousand or more members to qualify to be a modern apostle. So this criterion that they apply to themselves to be apostles, this criterion tells us that the modern self-assigned apostles are actually arrogant. They are ignoring scripture. Because based on Peter's criteria, there can be no biblical apostles today because no one would meet the conditions for apostolic succession. So let us look at Peter's criteria. Well, the first criteria, uh, first criterion is this. He has to be a member of Jesus' band of disciples right from the beginning, from the day of Jesus' baptism. So one has to be a disciple of Jesus from the beginning of Jesus' ministry before he can be an apostle of Jesus. And we know that a disciple is a student, but an apostle is a special representative to act with authority on behalf of Jesus. So that's the first criteria. The, uh, criterion. the second criterion is that he has to be an eyewitness of the resurrected Jesus. And the third criterion is that he has, to be, he has to receive the direct call 
of apostleship from Jesus himself. So based on the first two criteria, the 120 believers nominated two candidates, Joseph called Basabas and Matthias. And they have been with Jesus from the beginning, and they have witnessed the resurrection. But how is the church to apply criterion number three since Jesus has ascended to heaven? Well, they pray. They pray to Jesus in heaven. And they ask the ascended Jesus to exercise his sovereignty through the casting of lots. Look at verses 24 and 26. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over his apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. And so he was added to the eleven apostles. Now the casting of lots appeared to allow random chance to come into play, very much like uh, striking a lottery or throwing uh, uh, the throwing of a dice. But that was not what the apostles were doing. You see, the believers were following the Old Testament tradition of using the Urim and Tumim. The Urim and Tumim are two sacred objects that the high priest of ancient Israel will use to determine God's will. And so um, the, the high priest will throw the objects down and how the, the objects fell were then considered as God's will and the providence of God. Yeah. So in the same way, the believers may cast the lots, but it is the ascended Jesus who determines on whom the lot fell. Okay, so the ascended Jesus is sovereign and he exerts his sovereign choice through the casting of lots. And we were told that the lot fell on Matthias. So the application for us this morning, or the question for us this morning, is, is there a place for casting of lots? Can we take from Scripture this passage and apply it to today's situation? Can we cast lots today to find out the will of God? Well, the, I think the question is, yes, there is a place for it. But we don't cast objects or we don't cast uh, dice. Instead, we cast our votes. And that is what we have been doing haven't we? You know? We have been doing this during AGM when we elect our leaders. Because we believe that God is sovereign and nothing happens 
by chance. And when we cast our vote, the poll will turn out as God has willed it. And this is what we believe. Yes, we may cast our vote, but it is God who will, in his sovereignty, determine the outcome. He will determine the result. So the principle of discerning God's will in New Testament time still applies today when we choose potential church leaders. We first need to search the scripture. And scripture tells us to choose leaders who are mature Christians with godly character. And then we need to pray. We are to pray for wisdom and understanding which the Holy Spirit will give to us. And we need wisdom and understanding to assess the character of the potential leaders. And we need to assess their suitability. And when that is done, we cast our votes. And we, when we cast our votes, we believe that God in his sovereignty will show us his choice. So we have been given a glimpse of the life of the newly formed church in the 10 days before Jesus' ascension and, his, and, and Pentecost. The fledgling church was already exemplary in obedience. It was already exemplary, exemplary in unity, in prayer, and in searching the scripture. When we next read about it, we will see the fledgling church in power as the Holy Spirit is poured out on the 120 believers. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that everything that was written in the book of Acts was written to teach us and to encourage us. Please forgive us for being poor in our prayer life. But we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you will help us to persevere in our prayer. And we know that you will always answer our requests and petitions according to your will. And may we always be delighted to obey your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.